Father, we just love you this morning. And God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. God, we know, God, that you died on a cross. God, we know that you were buried in a grave, but our hope is in the fact, God, that we know that you rose again and you are alive today. And we have that hope in you this morning. And God, we thank you, God, for loving us and just showing your love to us, pouring out your love on us. And I pray this morning as we just worship, as we sang, God, that you were glorified, that you were honored. And I pray, God, this morning that you would just speak to our hearts, God, as we hear, um, God, about victory and what it is to be in victory in you, Lord. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts. Let us be changed by your presence, be changed by your word this morning. God, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 8. So we have just learned a couple weeks ago about Samuel. I mean, in Samuel here, we learned David uh, experiences the covenant of the Lord. And we understand that God said no to him about building a temple. It would not be him. It would be, however, one of his offspring. But he would be, uh, his descendants will form a great nation. So now in chapter 8, we learn about the victory. After this, David defeated and subdued. I love that word, subdued. David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Gath, their largest town. David also conquered the land of Moab. Listen to this. Whew. He made the people lie down on the ground in a row. And he measured them off in groups with a length of rope. He measured off two groups to be executed for every one group to be spared. Now, this is one of the places in the Bible where there's no question the Bible was presented to man by God. If, if the Bible, which many, many, many people believe is, is uh, originated with man, that man put all this together, I don't believe man puts this in the book. Matter of fact, there are many, many, many things that man is not going to put in the book because obviously the book is to reveal God. It's to put God, in man's opinion, in a light that people are going to be easy to accept, right? But my goodness, can you imagine? You're going to line them up in thirds, and two-thirds are all going to be executed. You're talking about making sure you're in the right line. Man. The Moabites who were spared became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. David also destroyed the force of Hadadazer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah, when Hadadazer marched out to strengthen his control along the Euphrates River. David captured a thousand chariots, seven thousand charioteers, and twenty thousand foot soldiers. He crippled all the chariot horses. That, that doesn't sell well either, does it? You imagine the PETA group? Can you imagine the horse lovers? I mean, he crippled all the horses except enough for a hundred chariots. 
When the Arameans from Damascus arrived to help King Adazer, David killed 22,000 of them. Then he placed several army garrisons in Damascus, the Aramean capital, and the Arameans became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. So the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David brought the gold shields of Hadazer's officers to Jerusalem, along with a large amount of bronze in Hadazer's towns of Teba and Brothai. When King Toy of Hamath heard that David had destroyed the entire army of Hadazer, he sent his son Joram to congratulate King David for his successful campaign. Hadazer and Toy had been enemies and were often at war Joram presented David with many gifts of silver, gold, and bronze. And that's where the Olympics uh, come from, the Olympic awards. Anybody? No? I don't know if that's the case or not, but could be. They get, he gets gifts of first, second, and third place. Really, it's second place, first place, and third place how it's listed here. King David dedicated all these gifts to the Lord as he did with the silver and gold from the other nations he had defeated. Edom, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and Amalek. And from Hadazer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So David became even more famous when he returned from destroying 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He placed army garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became David's subjects. In fact, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So that's repeated. We see in verse 6, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. And now we see down here in verse 14, the Lord made David successful, victorious wherever he went. Verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. They had victory. The Lord gave them victory. And the response was their king did what was right for them and they experienced justice and equity. English Standard Version. New Living Translation, they, they received, they were able to live what was just and right for all the people. It says in the book of Proverbs that a country is really in a bad place when there's, no in, when, when there's injustice, when there's no justice. When the legal system crumbles and people do not get equal, fair treatment, that society is in a bad spot. It's going to have problems. And when people are not treated with equity, when, when what is not right for all the people, it's right for some of the people, but not right for all the people. And so in our world today, when there are those governments that are all about a small percentage of people with the money, then that country is going to really struggle and, and they're going to have a hard time. They're going to have problems with poverty, with, with hunger, 
and, and with, with people being able to make a living. And so if David would have been the dictator in Cuba all these many years, Cuba would be one of the brightest spots in the Caribbean, right? All those old cars would be off the road. They would probably be antiques like they're probably supposed to be. There'd be new cars, there'd be new hotels, there'd be new restaurants. Americans and Europeans and, and, and people all across the world would be going to Cuba to vacation like they go to other places in, in the Caribbean. But because he has not done what is best, what is right for all the people, even though he believes that he has, right? That's his whole mindset is to raise up the low guy, the underprivileged guy. He, they don't realize that they've held back the, the, those who are on the lower rung of the ladder of society. But that's not what David did. David, he was able to lead in such a way and lead because of the victory that the Lord gave him. And so he experienced a, a wonderful life, a life that bless other people at this case. Now, he is at the top of his reign. He is on the top of the roller coaster. We know David, and David can't stay up there very long, and we're going to see him swing, right? But, but here we see David experiencing victory, having the victory. That's really key here today, and, and I want you to hear that and understand that. He lived the victory because he had the victory. Okay, he, he really didn't have to earn the victory. He didn't have to achieve the victory because the scripture tells us that the Lord gave him the victory. Now, the key for us is understanding, knowing that we have victory. It's a key. Now, the truth about life is we can either live life or life will live us. You probably have experienced that transition. There may have been times in your life when you can see that you're actually living life, and then you can see that life is living you. Life makes decisions for you. Life is determining your response to life, right? When circumstances are in charge, and when you're overwhelmed with circumstances, you're letting life live you because you have victory as a believer, and when you allow circumstances to win in your life, you're not recognizing the victory that you have. We have to be intentional about it. We have to be determined about it. We have got to be of faith about victory. We have victory, but we must take hold of victory by faith. We must be surrendered to it. We must be uh, submissive to it. Victory has to subdue us. And it has, we have to allow that to take place. So the scripture says in 2 Samuel 8, David is winning battles and the Lord has given him victory. And the result is just living and right living for all his people. The rest of the chapter just talks about the leadership that he puts into place. Let's look in Romans chapter 8. And let's just kind of talk about today victory the victory that we have the victory that we have 
just to remind us of it. There was an old country evangelist, and uh, I forget his name, and I, I actually heard him preach a long time ago, and he would always shout out to the music leader, the, uh, the music evangelist or the worship pastor, whoever it was, he would always shout out, sing about the victory. He, he was known for that. And I wasn't there when this conversation took place, but I understand that one day someone said, and I'm sure he was asked this question a lot, how come you always make that song leader sing about the victory? Doesn't it get old every single service singing victory in Jesus? Doesn't it get old? I mean, every single service, you make sure we sing victory in Jesus. And he answered like this. He said, I've got to be reminded every single day about the victory or I'll forget. And, and I, I just think that we each have to be reminded about the victory that we have in Jesus or we'll forget. And there's something else I know from personal experience, and there's no question about it, you can sing about the victory and not live it. We do that all the time, don't we? We can sing about the hope we have in Christ and not live the hope. We can sing about the overwhelming conquering that we do in Christ and we can sing about it, we can sing about the hope, we can sing about the victory, and not live it out. Every single day, we have got to reset. We've got to start again. We've got to say, I am victorious. I have victory in Christ. I'm not the achiever of the victory. I, did not, I do not earn it. I certainly don't deserve it. But because of Jesus, I have it. That's what we learned from 2 Samuel chapter 8. And then Paul set, shares with the Romans the, the whole chapter is just chock full of victory. Look at verse 1, Romans 8, 1. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So don't condemn yourself. Don't allow the evil one to condemn you. Don't allow the world to condemn you. Don't allow your circumstances to condemn you. In Christ, born again, believe in Him, uh, covered with the blood of Christ, His righteousness over us, there's no condemnation for us. None. Zero. That's victory. That's complete, absolute victory. So, Faith in Christ means that for us, there is no condemnation. So we have victory. Verse 11. Listen to this. This is a, a real neat verse for us. Verse 11. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Yeah, that's victory, isn't it? Think about that for just a moment. Now, we're about that. We're about that. We are, we're supposed to be about that every single day. His Spirit lives in us. It says the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Think about being raised from the dead. Think about the power that that had to generate to raise Jesus from the dead. It says, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. 
lives in me. Believers, you are the possessor of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead, it's in you. we got to let that sink in. If we're living defeat, if life is living us, if we're not understanding that we have victory and we're living out the victory, and the way that we know that is because circumstances are in the driver's seat, worry is in the driver's seat, hopelessness is in the driver's seat, right? All those symptoms of defeated being defeated, then, then we've got to understand there's no way anyone can be defeated if the Holy Spirit lives in us, the Holy Spirit that had the power to raise Jesus from the dead living in you. Now, this is a simple illustration, but it makes sense to me. There's no way you can blow air into a balloon and it stay the same unless the balloon is broken. Lest the balloon is broken. We've already sung today that in Christ, He mends broken hearts. He mends broken spirits. So if indeed we are in Christ, we are no longer broken. So the air will, will expand the balloon. Right? And so if you have a balloon that's not broken and you blow air into that balloon, it's going to expand. There is absolutely no way for a believer to have the Holy Spirit in them and not be victorious. How can that happen? Man, if you're wore out in defeat, here's the deal, believer. If you're wore out in defeat, the reason why you're wore out, if you're, you're having to fight the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. That'll wear you out. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you feeling sorry for yourself. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you down depressed. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you controlled by worry and circumstances. The book of Ephesians says that physically, as we grow older, we grow weaker. No question about that. We grow weaker as time goes on. That's a proven fact. If you hadn't experienced that yet, you just hadn't got old enough yet. You're going to get weaker. You're not going to be able to do as much. It's just the way it is. However, let me tell you something. I, I think that I'm experiencing it to a certain degree without being bragger or a, a, you know arrogant about it. I really believe that although I'm weaker on the outside, I'm just like the book of Ephesians says, I'm getting stronger on the inside. I can tell. Now, I got a long way to go. No question, but the Lord, I, I, before you, I got a long way to go. Because I'll be humbled for sure today. But man, the Holy Spirit living in us makes us stronger. It makes us not worry. It makes us content. It makes us hope. It makes us rejoice. It makes us look at life and go, ha, what a blessing life is. It helps us to look at birds, doesn't it? Y'all been looking at birds this week from last week's message? Please say you have. Have you been looking at the blue bonnets this week? They're coming. Remember, it's a sign God knows what he's doing and God's in control. Look at the birds. Look at the blue bonnets. He's at work. 
He'd been letting them seeds lie around all winter long. Here they come. Here they come. People take their kids out there, those, those rattlesnake-infested pastures, <laughs> take pictures of their babies, go in there with a big stick and a gun if you do that. But the Holy Spirit lives in us. Just as God raised Christ from the dead. And it says here, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Oh, brethren, when we come together as God's people, that'll be the most powerful place in the world. Because we've got all these people in one place who are full, who are filled with the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. What do you think about that? Got one agreement. Verse 15, look at this one. So, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us fearful. So when you're full of fear, when fear has a hold of you, the Holy Spirit is against that. And, and one of the ways you can determine the work of the Holy Spirit and you can learn to hear His voice and you can recognize His tug and His pull when you're controlled by fear and, and you sense that opposition to the fear, that's the Holy Spirit. Your flesh isn't going to do that. Satan is not going to do that. The world is not going to do that. Your flesh is going to just want to gratify uh, the, the, the fear, but not the Holy Spirit. And so you can tell whether or not, or you can listen, you can feel, you can sense, where's the Lord at work? What's the Holy Spirit doing? He's working with that fear because it's, it's, it's opposite of His nature. It's not what the Spirit is going to do in us. Instead, we did not receive the, 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 the not fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Close connection with God. Intimate relationship with God is a result of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. When you sense that closeness, when you're sitting around on your back porch, you know, you're in your bed at night, you're just sitting around and, and, and you're, you're taking inventory of the day, the sweet spirit of the Lord will come and he will speak to you about how wonderful the Heavenly Father is. Every single time you have a thought, an awareness, an understanding, an idea, a concept moves in you, a warming in your heart that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and it's saying to you, your Heavenly Father is wonderful, is for you is with you, is on your side, it's on your team, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible tells us here. It doesn't make us fearful, it makes us intimate with our Father. Verse 16, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Have you sensed that this week? Do you sense that in your life? Have, have you experienced the Holy Spirit coming to you, speaking to you, making you aware that you're God's child? 
How do you know that you're born again? How do you know you're saved? The very best way is the work of the Holy Spirit. How do you know I'm saved? I said, how do I know it? I've heard the Holy Spirit affirm within my spirit, big S confirms with my spirit, little s, that I'm God's child. Lord, I believed, I trusted. Yes, indeed, you're my child. Now, I can see the evidence. I can see the desire change, the, the lifestyle change. The eternal perspective definitely begins to shape and take place in us as believers. But all the victory that we have when we understand the Holy Spirit affirms with our spirit that we are God's child. Amen. The affirming spirit of the Lord speaks with our spirit. Listen for a moment. Listen to the sweet spirit speak to you. You are my child. He didn't play games with that. He didn't mess with your mind with that. That's not what Heavenly Father does. That's not what a loving father would do at that place. But do you hear his sweet spirit speaking with you and affirming with your spirit that you're God's child? Do you hear it? Promises he's going to do that. Promise he's going to do that. And then in verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. In every location, in every hospital room, believe it or not, in every jail cell, in every ICU, in every hospice center, in every terminally ill home. Whatever people are going through, how, how horrible it looks and how difficult it is. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us. Boy, that's a hard thing to stomach and swallow sometimes when you see the pain and suffering that some people go through. But you can go to those horrible, horrible places in India, in Asia, and in America for that sake, where people are in just absolute poverty and they're struggling and they don't have good clean water to drink and they're struggling having enough food, regardless of their suffering. What they're going to experience in heaven is absolutely absolutely going to blow away all the suffering they experience here. That's what heaven is like. We have victory. Victory is ours. We can sing victory in Jesus, and we can experience victory here. If we understand we have victory, victory is ours. God through Christ has done it for us. Then verse 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. God works for the good in all things. You might have to sit a well and wait for it to come down the road, but you're going to see what all things are for you. If you're going through a real difficult time, if you see no light at the end of the tunnel, 
Rejoice before you see the light at the end of the tunnel because the Scripture promises victory to us. God is going to be at work. He is going to work in, in together for the good of those called to God's purpose. Verse 29, for God knew his people in advance. All people get all lopsided over that. Don't get lopsided over that. Just rejoice that God knew his people in advance. Now, I don't need to know how electricity works to turn it on. I never wonder, I wonder how this works. Where does that electricity come from? How does it work? How do you take electricity from the wind? It turns that blade. All right. How did it get to my house? I have no idea. You say we got power lines. I don't know how that works. I, I, I personally have only seen one transformer blow up, and it was awesome, but I don't know how that happened. But it doesn't stop me one bit walking in that dark room, turning that light on. I, I really don't understand how those motion sensors work. How they know motion? How does that work? But it doesn't catch me from waving at the motion center to get the lights to come on on Monday morning up here. We don't have to understand how God gives us victory. We just got to turn it on. T.D. Jakes, if he'd have said that, they'd have been jumping up and over the aisles. That's good. He'd have had him turn it on, turn it on, turn it on, turn it on. They were, oh, hallelujah. I, I watched that and I enjoy it. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. Oh, my, my, my. I don't know if there's any victory any greater than understanding this right here. Right standing with God. Think about that for a moment. Let that sink in. Right standing with God. How do we get right standing? Through Jesus. Through his calling us. Through the redeemed work of Jesus on the cross. We get to have right standing. You remember you're in college. I don't know if they still do it now. But we used to get these little pieces of paper. They used to sell it, send it to you by a postage stamp in the mail. And you'd get that deal. And, and I wouldn't look at my grades. I would look down where it said good standing. Because that was more important to me. Am I in good standing? And after I would see that I was in good standing, then I'd look and see what my grades were. It was good to be in good standing. How's college going? In good standing. <laughs> I've gone from probation to good standing. <laughs> Hallelujah. I know y'all are so smart, you never had that happen to you. But they have a thing called, we'll let you into college under probation. And then there's double secret probation. <laughs> there really is. Try that sometime. We have right standing with God. Verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? What shall we say? Well, it's almost like Paul saying to us, if that's not enough, it really should be enough. Shouldn't right standing be enough for us to shout victory? Why are you so full of peace? Why is the joy being just pouring out over you? How come there's so much God's love flowing through you? I'm in good standing. I'm in good standing. 
I got fired yesterday. I'm in good standing, right? I don't know how I'm going to meet my bills. I'm in good standing, though. I'm still going to struggle to pay those bills, but I'm in good standing. You know, we're going through these hardships, these sufferings. This hasn't worked out. We've had broken dreams. We've had failed realizations of life for us. It's not what we thought life would be, but I'm in good standing. So nothing really, really, nothing compares to being in good standing with Almighty God. And in Christ, we're in good standing. But if that's not enough, he goes in a little further. And obviously, this is of the Holy Spirit that pulls us out. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since we, he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has done all this, that he has given his own son, he's not going to just keep anything good from us. He's going to give us all things. Verse 33, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? The answer is no one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. No one can stand and accuse us. No one can make an accusation against God's children because of what Jesus has done for us. He has chosen us. He has given us right standing. Satan, it didn't matter what you complain about this, brother. He's in right standing. This sister's in right standing with me. Get on down the road. I'm not listening to any of your accusations about my children. That's victory. Verse 34, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. God is in the position, Jesus is in the position beside the right hand of God in the place of all power and authority for us. We can't lose. We just can't lose. Can anything separate us from the love of God? Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Obviously, people back then thought if they go through real hard times, it must mean that God doesn't love them. That's not what the scripture says. Are we separated from God's love if we have bad times? No, he says. No, of course not. As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. Overwhelming victory. What does overwhelming mean to you? It means to me you can't contain it. You can't corral it. You can't control it. It's overwhelming. It's more victory than you can hold on to. That's what we have in Christ. Overwhelming victory. That's what the Bible tells us. Notice about all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever set us, separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky, above or in the earth, below, indeed nothing in all creation 
will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have absolute victory. So yesterday afternoon, you might be a Texas Tech fan. And for three months, there's been on your calendar some big do on Saturday afternoon, you know, March the 30th. You had no way of knowing that your beloved Red Raiders would be playing in the game of their life in basketball. You can't get over the engagement. Your wife won't let you. Your boss won't let you. You think about quitting your job. You think about quitting your wife over this game, right? I mean, you're just, ah, the game of the year, and, and I can't watch it. But you've got that VHS thing or that VCR thing or whatever gadget you got, and you say, okay, I'm going to tape the game, and I'm going to avoid anyone that's going to tell me what happens. I don't know how many times I've had to do that in my life. Something's going on, and I'm saying, nobody tell me about the Longhorns. Nobody tell me about this. Nobody tell me. Just I don't listen to the radio. I avoid people that got the shirt on, you know. I just try to keep the information. And, and the goal of the whole evening is when I get home, I'm going to turn the game on and quickly go to the deal that you start play from the beginning because I've made the mistake of starting where it is. And I know the score at the very deal. But as you're driving home, maybe your wife calls you or something and says, honey, stop at the grocery store and get some cereal and milk for the morning. All right, I do that. And sure enough, I'm minding my own business walking through there. If I see anyone with a red or black shirt on, I'm going to avoid them at all costs. And I go to the deal, get my milk and the cereal, and I'm headed out, and somebody walks the line and says, Boy, that tech game was wonderful. I can't believe they beat Gonzaga. Yes. Oh. You go home. You already know who won the game. But you love your Red Raiders, so you're going to watch it anyway. But you know, it's a little, little bit relaxed. Only one, right? I'm not going to take your thunder from you. I think it's really cool. So you go home and you start watching it. And it's really different how you watch it this game. If you'd have been watching it live as it happened, it'd have been different how you watched it. But, but, but you already know Tech won. And so that missed free throw, that turnover, that bad pass, that failure, that, 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 being behind five points, having them hit a three, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, a, a crazy mental error that someone makes, it, it doesn't do anything to you. Because you know that you won. And so when you watch the game, you don't watch the game to find out if you win. You watch the game to find out how you win. The Christian life. We already know we win. We already know we have victory. Now, we've got to watch this life play out for us, not to see whether or not we win, but to see how we win. 
that old preacher, every single service, he would say, sing the victory. Sing about the victory. Sing about the victory we have in Jesus. So let's take up the offering and let's sing about the victory. Amen? Stand and let's sing. <laughs>